Our scripture reading this evening is Philippians 1.27a. Very short verse for a very short sermon. Um, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. If you think of your Christian life as a flame, what keeps you burning? What keeps you shining? In other words, what is your fuel? There was a famous preacher in the 20th century by the name of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And Lloyd-Jones believed that fuel is doctrine. What we believe, our doctrine, is what fuels the flame of our Christian life. But this is not a belief that's unique to Lord Jones. And if you look at scripture and especially the epistles, you'll recognize that this is the structure of the epistles. It's doctrine and then it's how that works out in our life. Our verse this evening in Philippians is structured in much the same way. Let your life be worthy of the gospel. Paul assumes you know what the gospel is. And then he's saying, live according to that gospel. So since tomorrow's Thanksgiving, what I would like to do is apply this to our lives and show how a proper understanding of the covenant of grace, and more specifically the gospel of Christ, should cause us to live a life of gratitude every day. In other words, grace fuels our gratitude. Scripture teaches that because of Adam's disobedience, all of humanity stands guilty and condemned before God. In the garden, Adam and Eve had a perfect environment, and they'd been given everything they needed. And God had given them every tree of the garden for food, except for one. God says to Adam, do not eat of this one tree. This tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. One restriction. He'd given them everything. And said, don't do this one thing. We call this the covenant of works. God was told, or Adam was told not to do this one thing. Don't eat from this tree. So he's given a choice. And he's told that the consequences of disobedience will be death. But in the command, there's an implied promise. Don't eat of it, and you live. To tell Adam, don't eat of it, or to eat of it, you will die, is to imply, if you don't eat of it, you will live. But Adam chooses death. He chooses to disobey, and he eats from the tree. But this is a critical moment that we ought not to miss. Having been told the consequences of disobedience, Adam, you would expect to die immediately. But he doesn't. He does spiritually. His relationship with God is severed in that very moment. But he's still physically alive. But something else happens almost immediately as well. Westminster Confession of Faith 7.3 says, Man, by his fall, having made himself incapable of life by that covenant, which was the covenant of works, The Lord, get this, was pleased to make a second commonly called the covenant of grace. 
One theologian commenting on this covenant says, God has absolutely no obligation to man. None. Once he revolted against the Almighty's will and aligned himself with the serpent, he was Satan. But God is gracious. He bound himself by an oath. Although man had proved to be ungrateful and a self-willed rebel, God chose to obligate himself to the sinner. Did you catch that? Can you feel that weight? God owes humanity absolutely nothing. When Adam sins, that could have been the end of it. You had one choice, you screwed it up, I'm sorry. But he doesn't do that. We've rebelled against him, we've mocked him, we complain about him, we complain about what he's freely given us. We don't always verbalize this, but if you're honest with yourself, your attitudes and your thoughts can display a heart that at times still really struggles to be grateful for what you have. And yet, despite the rebellion and the ingratitude, not only does God not strike Adam and Eve dead on the spot, he establishes this second covenant with humanity wherein he freely offers unto sinners life and salvation by Jesus Christ. What grace that God would send his son into a world marked by sin and rebellion. Jesus came, he lived a life of perfect obedience, and on one Friday afternoon, the depths of our sin would be on display, the depths of our wickedness. We would crucify the Son of God on a cross, the perfect, spotless one. Beaten, mocked, bloodied, and naked, Jesus would die the death of a sinner at the hands of sinners on behalf of sinners. Three days later, he would rise from the dead under his own power, declaring to the world that perfect justice had been satisfied. Jesus Christ has taken upon himself the wrath of God owned to sinners. And salvation is now freely offered to all who would repent of their sins and trust in Christ. So here's a question. And we want to be careful because we do still live in a broken and fallen world. And we live in this tension of the already and the not yet. We recognize, I recognize, that there is a proper place that we lament sin. There's a proper place that we can see the injustices of this world and not be content with them. We ought not be content with them. And there is a time that we can grieve and we should ask questions. But setting those aside for the moment... What do we truly have to complain about? The title of the sermon is Grace-Fueled Gratitude. All of history from the fall of man forward is marked by grace. Remember, he owes us nothing. And having the proper perspective on this should fuel a life of gratitude for the believer. So without going into specifics... I want to set two realities before you. Two things that are true concerning you as a believer, and as you contemplate them, I pray that they fuel a life of gratitude. I believe that's one way that believers can live a life worthy of the gospel. First, your sins have been forgiven. Every believer, we still struggle with indwelling sin, we still struggle on a daily basis to do what we should do, to not do what we ought not to do. 
But in light of the gospel, you've been forgiven. That's not license to sin, but it's a recognition that I'm still a sinner, but Christ has paid for those sins. So when I sin, I confess those sins. I trust that Christ has forgiven them. And we move forward. The book of Hebrews says, The Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, This is the covenant I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law on their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Not till they do it again. Not till I get tired of forgiving them. Not till they come back to mind in a week or two. I will remember their sins no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. So believer, your past, present, and future sins have been forgiven because of Jesus Christ's sacrifice for you. We hear this every Sunday. Somebody stands up, we confess our sins, we hear the gospel, and our liturgy is, believer in Jesus Christ, you are free from the guilt and power of sin and death. And we respond with, thanks be to God. That is grace to fuel your gratitude. But second, you are also clothed in Christ's righteousness. Christ's sacrifice on your behalf does not simply get you back to zero. It's not just the starting point that says, okay, I'm, I'm wiping this clean, but now, now it's up to you. Don't screw up. No. You have been given Christ's righteousness as a gift. Isaiah 61.10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord, and my soul, my soul shall exalt in my God. Why? For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. He's died for you. He's paid for your sins. And not only that, he's lived the law perfectly on your behalf. And when you repent of your sins and trust in Christ, he gives you the righteousness you need. You don't have to look inside for it. You won't find it. It's his. Look to him. We deserve none of this. And yet God, in his grace and mercy, has freely chosen us to give us his son. What more could we ask for? But maybe you're here and you don't yet believe in Christ. How does this covenant of grace speak to you? First, I want to say, you're here this evening. God in his kindness has brought you to a service and he has allowed you to hear the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ. You could be anywhere else tonight. You realize that. But you're not. You're here. Why? Because God in his kind providence has brought you here. Second, when you wake up tomorrow or even as you drive home this evening, I want you to think about why it is you have life. And I don't mean the meaning of your life, but I, why is there breath in your lungs? We are creatures wholly dependent upon another for life. In Acts, we read that in him, meaning God, we live and we move and we have our being. The very breath that you just took 
because God gave it to you. A couple weeks ago, we heard Pastor Troy teach or preach from John in the garden. The soldiers that came to arrest him, do you remember what, what John said? They had the ability to arrest Jesus, one, because he let them, two, because he was giving them life. He's sustaining them. He sustained them just as much as he's sustaining you now. Your very life is a gift from God, and you have right now the opportunity to turn from your sin and embrace Christ as Savior. And it's my prayer that you would, that this very day you would use the breath that he's giving you to cry out to him in faith. So for the believer, we've seen that Christ has died for us when he didn't have to. God made a promise at the beginning of time to send a seed, a son, that would crush the head of the serpent, and he's fulfilled that promise. That in and of itself is enough to fuel a life of gratitude for the believer. But not only does he die for you, he gives you the righteousness that you need to be with him forever. He's done what you don't deserve. He's given us what we don't deserve. And he's coming back for us. He's coming back. When Christ returns, what a day. Never again will we complain. We will be perfectly grateful. And it will be a gratitude forever fueled by grace. Until that day comes, we can rejoice in God's grace and be grateful. This is a manner of life that is worthy of the gospel. Let's pray.